Hi, I'm a helpful Southern California Honda person, and recently we've been doing random acts of helpfulness, like building a shelter at a horse sanctuary or getting an adaptable bike for a child with special needs. And during the Honda Dream Garage Spring Event, we can help you too with a great deal on an award-winning Honda, like the CR-V. And Honda was named 2019 Best SUV Brand by U.S. News & World Report. Click the dealer locator link to find a dealer near you and go to SoCalHondaDealers.com to request a random act of helpfulness. View U.S. News Best Cars at Cars.USNews.com. Hello and welcome to an all new episode of Talking Game of Thrones. I am your host Kente all the way live from Los Angeles, California, and this is episode 2 of the podcast and we are covering the final season, that's season 8 of the HBO hit drama Game of Thrones. And my wonderful co-host is the one and only Jen. How you doing, Jen? Great. I'm doing really 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 good. Sorry that this episode didn't have a name, but it was good even without a name. Yeah, it was a good one. I would call this one either Giant's Milk or Memory Lane. <laughs> um, that would be yeah. a good title for either one because it, it's a lot of talking about the past and, uh, of course, the whole Giant Milk thing. Uh, yeah, I I think you're right. Both of them would be pretty good. Yeah. Do you feel Agreed. like maybe you weren't a good enough mother because you never fed your kids Giant Milk? Um. I, you know, the thought never crossed my mind <laughs> ever. So if that makes me a bad mom, then I'm super sorry. Yeah, see, see, the good moms they feed their kids. I, <laughs> giant wait, milk. wait, wait, wait! I think the better question is: Have I been? Uh, have I have? It, does it make you not a good? Uh, like what's the standard now for being a good lover is being a good lover what that's all that was so crazy that the, the whole thing everybody who watched the show with me I, I think that they all wanted to laugh at first and they all looked at each other like almost on cue like that was funny right <laughs> yes that's funny that's hilarious that was hilarious uh, yes so. Only he could deliver that line, and uh, and and for it to be not, and for it not to sound as outrageous as it did. Only he could deliver that line. It was so funny. Yes. So I mean, so much happened in this episode. Um, as far as you know, character stuff, um, we did get finally Jon Snow at the end of the episode. Told uh, Daenerys, or am I? Do I say her name right? Daenerys, right? It's Daenerys. Daenerys. Okay. All right. Uh, Daenerys. My bad. Uh, let's say Danny. Uh, that it's you know what's so funny about the scene is he tells him her about his true parentage, right? And never is it brought up. Hey, I had sex with my nephew. It's the only thing that's concern is uh, who might have the rightful, you know, seat on the the uh, the. Cr- the throne it's not it's not oh my god we had sex and we're related it's it's uh you know the the whole issue about uh who gets to sit on the throne that's just funny to me yeah but, yeah, but doesn't that kind of make sense i mean to me it actually makes sense because uh, honestly it just goes to show how little some of those things really mattered it didn't matter that was that thing that that's the whole point right it just didn't matter it only matters to us because mm. for us, yuck. For them, I, yeah, I, I don't, I think it just didn't even matter. Plus, too, the other thing is for Daenerys, that is all that matters. Right. I don't, I feel like, I don't feel like there's anything that is, that subsequently is as important as the Iron Throne. And therefore, that thought, I don't think, I think it would be less. It would always be sort of obfuscated under everything else because the iron throne is the only thing that she's been trying to do i you know the way that i felt about that scene was daenerys was basically saying oh look this upends everything right as if like she was waiting for him to say oh yeah but i don't really want this right and i thought that's what he was gonna say but i don't know maybe he cares he does care yes but 
they, they were saved by the bell. So right, saved by the horn bell, whatever. Um, so let's let's kind of go back to the top of the episode, and we'll work our way down. Um, we start off with. Jamie kind of having his uh, day in court, if you will. And I know a lot of us thought possibly Bran, you know, the whole thing with Bran, him getting pushed out the window would become a big factor. But I think and you might have even said this. The whole, you know, he's not really Bran anymore. So, and right. so he, and he also has an understanding of what is going to be necessary coming from him to help fight the war. So, you know, that kind of, that didn't get brought up at all. Um, so one thing I was afraid of, like the whole episode might turn into that and thank God it didn't turn into, you know, the whole Jamie, you know, Jamie, if Jamie's gonna, uh, uh, you know, pay with his life or anything. Remember that was my concern from last week and, uh, they handled it. They handled it really pretty cool. So I'm happy about that. Um, what do you think about ultimately what they chose to do? Brianne, you know what Brianne stepping in there? You know, the, 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 I, I think so the, the whole first part of Jamie sort of being on quasi trial, just, I don't know, having to vouch for himself, I guess. I, honestly, I, I, I sort of felt like that set, <coughs> up a, uh, a a dialogue that was actually the one that happened after between Sansa and Daenerys which is which is this which is who do you trust and so it was less about trusting Jamie and more about who do Sansa and Daenerys trust implicitly and so I, I, I don't know there was there was a I feel like I'm missing something in that dynamic and I you know not having had time to go back and watch it again I I'm not sure exactly what it was in that conversation that hit me so strange but the moment that it became Daenerys having to defer to Sansa it felt to me like something else was happening like that dynamic was being <clears throat> uh, played out a little bit uh, more prominently, and and I think we sort of got to it when Daenerys and Sansa were talking about when when Sansa said the North was stolen from us, mm -hmm. and and they didn't have any uh, good resolution about what was going to happen after the war either. That see to me, there's like so many dangling and so loose and don't feel like they are tied together very well. I don't, I just, before we even go any further, I just have to ask this question because I feel like it's such a huge part of what we saw tonight. So Game of Thrones has always felt to me, including when I first picked up the book and started reading the first one a million years ago, it seems like, um, it always felt to me like it was uh, uh, almost like uh, um, a story of, not just war, but like the the politics and the theater of war. So even stuff that happens in peacetime feels like there is always the undercurrent of things happening about going to war, right? And and you get into it pretty quickly, and you understand that that is really where things are going. And so the series goes in a slightly different direction than the book in some ways because. The, the, the tone of the series has sort of meandered around a little bit with a lot of different, um, I don't know, I'm just going to call them sort of uh, other stories. P good stories, but stories with characters or stories with characters in them that are a little bit more uh, cushioned than uh, than I remember reading in the book. And and it's worked to their, to their advantage for sure. But when you see the whole of all of the eight seasons so far, and here we are almost at what we would call like the mid season finale now next week for game of Thrones. Um, do you feel like the body of work of game of Thrones is sort of like, like tonight's episode was actually sort of everyone kind of almost saying goodbye to each other. Yes. yes. And, and, 
And as a result, do you feel, because I did, right? I really felt like what the writers were trying to say to us was uh, get a good glimpse of all of these really good people because they're all not just about to lay their lives on the line, but hey, you know what? Remember what Game of Thrones is really about. It's actually about the, the, the system of war that is the jostling of position for the Iron Throne. Like what you said before was so important because honestly, nothing is as important as who sits on the Iron Throne. I mean, that's easy for me to say. And the story seems to push us in all kinds of different directions. But overall, it really is about that one issue. So even the Night King and even everything that's happening in the war against the dead is actually not the Game of Thrones whole story. The real big story underneath it is who's going to sit on the Iron Throne, right? Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. I'm, and I totally understand where you're, you're coming from. And do you feel that way? Did you, did you, do you get that sense? Because uh, sometimes I, I, I wonder if there is with all of the stuff that we've been through over the last seven seasons, sometimes I wonder, not that anybody would ever question, you know, well, what's the real story underneath it? Just how important this actually is. Like all of the side trips that we go on with the characters, all of the things that we do, it, it really is only for one goal. Even this fight is not, it's really not the fight against the dead. I mean, it is, but it really is just sort of the fight against the dead so that we know who can sit on the Iron Throne, right? You know what I'm saying? Right. No, no, no. I mean, I understand exactly what you're saying. That That's what the whole, I mean, that's why it's called Game of Thrones, right? D uh, does it feel that way to you, though? I mean, like, I guess my question is, does it feel like they're doing a good enough of a job right up so far in the, the first two episodes to get us ready for... Uh, for what I think might be to come. Well, that's maybe a kind of an ambiguous question, but do, do you think that they've done a good job uh, reminding us, I guess, uh, about it's not just what's at stake for, uh, for Westeros. It's what's at stake altogether. Do, right, like, like the, the idea that something so petty, like who's going to control the seven kingdoms is still on the minds of people, despite the fact that they might be wiped off the face of the earth, right? Does that, like, it's it's one of those moments that's just sort of breathtaking. Like, uh, it's hard to even, it, it's like this. It's like when, when we say, well, we have to fight for uh, the amount of oil that's underneath the ground and in less than 100 years, it's all going to be gone anyway. And we're just, I mean, it doesn't matter. We're still all going to fight tooth and nail to get it. It's that kind of thinking that I feel like Game of Thrones has done such a good job bringing forward. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go off on that tangent. I just, it's, this particular episode really brought forth to me this idea of, okay, it's not just that things are wrapping up. It's that think about how things are actually wrapping up. There is no conclusion so far, despite the fact that we are almost midway now through the season to knowing who might sit on the Iron Throne any more so than we were back in season one. No, we don't know. We don't know. Which, we just know that. It's kind of stark. Yeah, we just kind of have an, we have potential players out there, but we don't know it actually when it's all said and done. Um, and that's very interesting that that's you know that is the case. You know, it's such a strange existential question that just is so haunting overall. So I'm again, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to veer off too far. It's just there is something so incredibly. Uh, overarching in this in this narrative that is beyond the 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 just based on what we've seen seven seasons in every sunday you know eight ten episodes having to deal with all these different character stories and and realizing that in the end it still all comes down to a kind of pettiness about power and control it's it, it's it's a little bit breathtaking I, I don't know for some reason it just really overtook me tonight mm. well 
Well, uh, yes, I understand where you're coming from. Um, I, w I want to uh, also bring up the fact that uh, in this in this episode, you know, we saw a lot of uh, maturation, and uh, we saw it with uh, with um, Samuel in in a in a certain way. Uh, yeah. When he gave his sword to um, to uh, oh my god, uh, Mormont, I, I believe that's how you Mormont. I'm sorry. Um, mm -hmm. I thought that was a great scene. Uh, very, very great scene, and and I like how he kind of came to terms with his place there, you know. Although he's done a lot of great things, and I love how he threw out there. I was the first one to take out a White Walker and all of that. Um, I thought that was interesting, um, and then there was a there was a scene that uh, was a little hard to watch uh, with the Arya, you know. <laughs> You know, because we're so used to Arya being a kid. And even though she, the actress is a grown woman, you know, she's uh, in her 20s, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think she plays a child on the show, right? Well, the, we all had calculators out to figure out the math on how old Arya would be. But I think we figured out that she's probably 16. Right, and I think she's even younger in the book. I think she's fourteen. Yeah, in the book she is definitely younger, but but in the series she's definitely sixteen something. Right, and uh, you know, I, I I think that scene. I mean, I understand what it what that scene was about, but I don't know. It seemed like a little over the top for her character, you know. So, but I mean, it makes sense that that would be. I don't I, I I don't know. I, I I didn't see it that way. I actually saw it a a little bit differently, right? Like I, it it seemed to me like this was. Um, I don't know if you ever read the story uh, of Beowulf and <clears throat> how before battle uh, everybody gets together in the great hall and you know tells stories, trades, sort of drink and uh, acts of valor and stuff like that. It, it felt to me like this was the Game of Thrones moment in the Great Hall where all of the characters figure out a way to have a reckoning with what they believe could be their last moments alive. Which, again, is why it was so striking to me that between Jon and Daenerys, they chose that moment to have a reckoning about who might be sitting on the Iron Throne. Mm -hmm. But for everybody else, it it was it was such an interesting like retrospective piece of this is who I want to be if I'm going to meet my end tomorrow. And so for Aya, it did feel like that is a perfectly okay place for her to be. And also, it I I mean I know that this is we're we're out of the book really. I mean, th there's no there isn't any. We can't really draw a lot of super great comparisons at this point. But when you think about it, the way that George Martin writes women, he never shies away from writing women the same way that he would write a man. So if you could see a man doing exactly what Aya did, then it, it feels like that's exactly the same thing that Aya would do. Like, do you know what I mean? It doesn't. It didn't feel to me like it was off. The only reason they think people felt kind of squicky about it is because, is because you're used to seeing Aya as a kid. That's what I. That's said. the only. Yeah. That I. But but I, I. But I mean, let's face it. Aya's not a kid. After no, everything Aya that Aya's been through, she's Aya not a kid. Aya is a kid. I mean, she is. A no, kid she's in, not. In age, yes, she is a kid. But in. Oh come on! In, in like, when you were sixteen. Really? When you were 16? Really? When I was 16, what? You weren't interested in... You were interested in, in the opposite sex at all? If it was your last night you thought could be the last night on the planet, are you kidding me? At 16, you wouldn't have tried to do something about it? I didn't say that. I didn't say that at oh. all. Oh. Oh, so, okay, so but this, that's believe, what I'm trying to get at. Listen. What I'm trying to... You don't even listen. Huh? I didn't say... I, the only thing I said was because we know that she is a child it was a 
you know, that's that was the only thing. But I could, I said that I can totally understand where why her character would do what she did, and why you know why it happened. I just felt like it was the scene was a little gratuitous. It, it, I definitely think there was too much detail in it. Right. It didn't need That's to be I quite that long. Yeah, I agree with that. But the funny thing, though, I was kind of laughing while I was watching it, was um, the fact that it took like two hours for them to get their clothes off. You know, because they had so many layers. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, but if, man, if I had that many clothes on, I'd have been tired by the time I got naked. I'd have been like, you know what? Now I'm naked. Can we just rest for a while before we do it? Yeah. Well, they are in Winterfell. It is cold. Right. You know. Yeah, I get it. That's a lot. That's a lot of layers <laughs> to get off. You know, that's a lot of layers to get off. To get off. You know. So, but no, no. I mean, I didn't have a. I didn't have an issue with it. It made sense. You know, based on the character. That you know. So, so I didn't have. I didn't have an issue with it. It was just the little the gratuitous of that. I thought. But you know, I mean, maybe I'm just an old fogey. But um, so uh, no. But uh, most of the people that I know had your reaction too. So yeah, yeah. So uh, but um, so we had that, and then also something we can't we have to talk about is the scene between Sansa and Danny. I thought that was really good when they were sitting at the table and they're having that moment and they're they're speaking with each other. And uh, I thought that was a really good scene. It was almost like, it was like, okay, she knew that there was tension, so she did what she had to do to defuse it. And for a moment, they were getting along, but at the very end, when she asked her, what about the North? And she didn't want to, uh, uh, you know, she didn't want to um, to say anything, and it, things got tense. And then it was, uh, you know, interruption ex machina, to uh, you know, save that conversation. So, see, I I think that Daenerys, when Daenerys wants to turn on the charm, it seems to always work for her. And with Sansa, it doesn't work because Sansa sees through it. And I don't mean that in a you know, Sansa knows that she's uh, that somehow Daenerys is trying to turn on the charm with her. I mean the things that Sansa has been through. I think, I think it's that Daenerys really underestimates how loyal people are to Sansa and that, um, and, and why they are loyal to her, not just that she's because, because hmm, there's again, I, I need to rewatch the episode again because I feel like I missed a lot. I mean, I took a lot of notes, but they were notes that I really feel like I need to go back and reflect on because there are some things that happened in that particular part of the episode that made me think that it, it sort of harkens back to some other meetings that Daenerys has had with people where she really does try very hard, um, like I said, to turn on the charm and it really has worked in her favor. But for, but with Sansa, there is something also uh, that is just uniquely about the North that I don't think Daenerys quite gets. She just doesn't, I don't think she understands it. Number one, but number two, I also don't, it's, it's so funny how impetuous Daenerys can be like uh, to the point of, it almost feels childish. Do you ever get that? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, she's hasn't had a lot of. I mean, she's had a lot of experiences, but in a lot of ways, she hasn't had a lot of experiences. You know, if that yeah, sense, if that makes sense. She's been in a bubble, you know, most of her. And life. remember what I said last week when I said that you know I don't think that Daenerys has ever experienced a situation where the people that she's basically trying to pull under her wing haven't needed her, haven't needed to be protected or need something from her. The North really doesn't feel like it needs anything from her at all. <clears throat> and that, I mean, other than obviously right now when they're fighting the Night King, but the it, overall, it's, it's just a different kind of a feel. It's even different than it is in King's Landing, I think. I just don't think she has the experience to sort of deal with that. Where, on the other hand, Sansa 
has had experience working sort of on all sides of the street, if you will. I mean, she's seen a lot of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I, I honestly, I, I, it, it, there is such a, there's such a difference between the two of them, and yet in some ways they are so well matched. Yes, I agree. I definitely agree. Um, there's so much you know to unpack there, and I'm waiting to see how this all plays out between the two of them. So it's really, really going to be really interesting. Uh, I'm, it, not, it I'm, was... not a, I'm not a big fan of Sansa. Uh, I think a lot of it is because in the first season, her connection to Joffrey, and it always rubbed me the wrong way. And uh, so I've never really fully embraced her character, and um, you know. But she was a kid. So, <laughs> kids. Hey, Joffrey was a kid. I know. So, and we didn't we didn't like Joffrey, even though he was a kid. And well, <clears throat> I don't know. I guess we we should save that for another conversation. But I do really, I I really do think that Sansa's character arc has brought her where she is with all of the accolades that she deserves at this point in time. <clears throat> I don't, I, I, I know why I will. I can't say I know why I think there are plenty of reasons that people feel strongly one way or another about Sansa, but in terms of the series, I feel like they've done a fairly good job showing that a person can be faulty in their thinking and come around in a completely different or to a completely different way of thinking based on the life situations that they then experience. I, I don't think she has ever not been a good person, but a lot of circumstances have sort of pushed her in directions that, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's not, I, I'm just not a fan of her character. Uh, I don't really like Danny either. Um, I'm not a fan of Danny. I used to like her. I liked her in the beginning, and then when she became the whole mother of dragons, she got annoying to me. Um, I like, uh, I love Cersei. Because she's, I think maybe the reason why I love Cersei so much is she's so consistent in who she is. And she's had an evolution. But, um,. I just really, I don't know, maybe, I just love her character, like, a lot. I mean, I kind of low-key almost want to see her win. <laughs> like, you know, like, you know, uh, so I don't know, maybe that makes me evil, because I like Cersei so much. Um, but, uh, I don't know, we'll see, though. We'll see how it all shakes out, but um, I would say Cersei might be my favorite character, and, and the Malisandra as well. And really? It, yes, hmm. the Red Witch. Are you kidding? Now, my favorite, favorite character is Masande. Uh, how you say her name? Masande? Grey Worm's woman? Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, she's gorgeous. Oh my god. Yes, yes, yes. She's very, very beautiful. Oh. And I uh, love okay, that so... scene. I love the scene between the two of them. That was so cool. I, I have a giant note in my notebook underlined and basically highlighted with my giant yellow highlighter that says that because they took up so much episode space <clears throat> with their, we're going to make plans for after this is over. That means that one or both of them are going to die. Yeah, I know. I, and I have a feeling it's going to be gray worm is going to die. And I hate that. Cause he's like, you know, you root, you have to root for the guy. The guys, he's probably the most, the most admirable person because yeah you know like he's really all about the mission you know he doesn't really have any kind his of moral life. compass never strays never ever strays. he's the yeah. yeah and you feel for him because he's look what he had to go through in his life and he found love you know and and um you know you really root for him you know and and her as well uh together and that just that scene is so awesome, I, you know. But you just know that it's probably going to end bad for, like you said, one one of them. I, I think it's going to be him, unfortunately. Well, there were two, right? There were two scenes in this episode where they uh, where they were basically sort of together talking, you not just making plans, but 
there was something so heartfelt about what the by the time that I saw them the second time on the screen, I said it out loud to everybody in the room that, you know, yeah, this doesn't this is a pretty bad portent for them. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry guys. Um, but but also, you know, the moment that I said that, everybody else in the room said, uh, it doesn't really look good for anybody right now. So, okay, they got a point. Yeah, but that one felt more like, you know, like people are going to die. Like A, a people, lot of people, people are going to die. People we care, because it's the final season too, and they need to cut back a bunch of those characters. So people that we love is probably going to die in this next episode. Yeah, it's good. I think it's going to actually be worse than the Red Wedding. Yeah, yeah. A lot. Because there'll be so much carnage. And, and Nikolai uh, Ka- Kasten Walden, uh, who plays mm-hmm. um, who plays um, Jamie Jimmy Lannister, he said on Jimmy Kimmel, Kimmel uh, he asked him, "Does he know how it ends?" Jim, he's like, "Yeah, I know how it ends." And he said, "Was it very good?" And he said, "It was very sad, satisfying." <laughs> that's how he, he, he said it this is very satisfying sad what's sad in there so yeah we'll see how how that ends yeah but i i i, I just want i know that this is a little bit more esoteric but i just i just want to bring up the 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 whole thing that uh that the three-eyed raven I guess we shouldn't even call him Bran anymore, mm-hmm. uh, said about the Night King. You know, I, I try really hard with this series in particular because there are other series that I really nitpick into sort of almost oblivion where I look at so many clues and different dialogue pieces and scenery pieces and just, I mean, everything under the sun to get any kind of narrative understanding and become almost conspiracy theorist about stuff. But in in this particular uh, series, I try not to get that far into stuff because I really like it and it's sort of like I want to enjoy it and sometimes it's really hard for me to enjoy something when I'm pulling so many different threads about how the story is going to come together and what's going to happen next and what could this mean and what did this mean and stuff. But in this one case, I just wanted to, I, I, I feel like there's something really super important here and I wanted to get your take on it. Mm-hmm. When, when, he, when, when he says that the Night King is looking to get rid of him and has tried several times before. Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like there's a pause in almost the entire narrative that, that this is such a cyclic thing that has come around. And not only isn't it the first time that this has happened, but perhaps this isn't the last time that it will happen again either. And I was wondering, you know, how did, what did you take out of that bit of conversation that, uh, that Bran had about the Night King wanting to get rid of the three eyed Raven so that he could basically plunge the world into night with no memories. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, what, uh, well, you know, it's the whole, I guess the warging, thing um that uh brand or three eye raven or whatever you want to call it uh can do because they both have that ability right right uh, and um i feel like he feels like once he because remember he went to see the night king be created remember yes i do and um so he has that uh, that ability of sight and i think his idea is that he's going to get rid of get rid of um him so that that it can't happen because remember the whole hodor the hodor thing you know uh i think it's key in this as well uh, i'm talking about hodor's eventual death you know and how you know he went in his mind and you know or you know whatever works do uh, i don't know the the technical term well okay wait the 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 ability to warg is the ability to ride an animal or a person so that you basically f- can so that you're controlling them right the, but what the three-eyed raven can do 
that we understand or that I understand and hopefully somebody else can that's smarter than I can that is smarter than I am can explain this to me but from what I understand the three-eyed raven can see the past the present and the future but doesn't necessarily know all of the different pieces that are going into it so while Bran might be able to see that there is something in an eventuality that will happen I don't know if he identifies that that is what's going to come to pass. Right. Right. No, I agree. I think he, so. Yeah. So when the Night King says, or, I'm sorry, when Brad says about the Night King that he wants to get rid of the three eyed raven because that would erase the memories of men. That is, if the three eyed raven doesn't exist, then there is no record of, of men being. Uh, the, 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 I guess that Westeros or for further even would be plunged into uh, permanent night. Mm-hmm. My, I guess my question is, did you understand like what that, what that implication was more far reaching? I mean, I think I get it, you know, on a, on a sort of a, a surface level. I mean, I understand the basic of it, but I don't understand the the i think the deeper implication of it which to me feels like it's wrapped up in the mythos yeah it's it's that's an aspect of the show that gets a little muddled you know it's not the most straightforward of all of it i know that george martin talks about or writes about the 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 entire three-eyed raven uh, the, the understanding of what the Three-Eyed Raven really is. And, and it's broken up into a couple of different places inside of the book series. So there is deeper explanation. But it's but in terms of where the series is bringing it, I guess I'm just trying to reconcile for myself whether there is something that's sort of new in that or whether that feels more canon to the, the book. I don't know. But it was really interesting because when you think about it, if the Night King can get rid of Bran or get rid of the Three-Eyed Raven and 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 effectively get rid of the 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 memories of everyone. Now I don't mean people in general, but I mean like, you know, there is no at that point then nobody really would have sort of the canonical understanding of what has transpired the deeper history the the myth the the westeros ultimate storyteller if if that's so important to the night king then then there's something then i feel like i must be missing something about why that is so important hey you're the expert <laughs> I, I I I think I, I think what I need to I think honestly what I need to do is uh, ask people who are much smarter than I am about this mythology to help me understand it because I know that there's an explanation but I just wanted to know if you thought that there was something sort of on the surface about that that seemed like oh yeah the, this is the easy explanation yeah well, if you know it please let me know <laughs> I'll consider that homework for our next for our next podcast. Yes. Okay. So um, before we get get on out of here, um, there's a couple of there's a couple of things I wanted to uh, talk about. Um, and um, this, what do you you know what? Let's just go right into it. Give me three characters you think are gonna die in the next episode. Oof. Um, I th- think Grey Worm's probably one of them. Yeah. I think. Um, mm, I think. I think the Lord of Light might be one of them. The Mister, Lord what's his name? Right. Mister Lord of Light. Yeah. I, 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 I know his name. I can see it, but I can't think of it at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's see one more. Um, I think someone from within sort of the inner circle 
is going to die. Some a, a very major character. Um, I I'm not. I don't know exactly which of everybody, but it does seem like somebody. Mm, I don't. I don't know. That's such a hard question. And also, you know, we know with Game of Thrones, basically. I mean, the only thing that is sort of more guaranteed than people will fight with swords is people you don't expect to die will die. Right. I mean, I I almost thought that Tyrion might be one of them, and also I I almost feel like Jamie is going to die. I think so too. I I feel like the whole point well, I mean, of Jamie. The very next episode, I don't think he's gonna die. But no, no, not in the very next episode. If he's gonna die, it's gonna probably be near the end. I think. You think he'll die like killing, trying to kill Cersei, or something to that effect? I think. Unfortunate. I hate this. I hope I'm wrong. Ray Worm is probably gone. Uh, I, oddly enough, the Lord of Light dude, I think, is getting it too, um, and. Um, also, I don't think the mountain's gonna die. You mean uh, not the mountain, but um, the hound. The hound. Yeah, I don't think the hound yeah. is gonna die. But no, because I, I think I think that battle's already been preset. I think he's got to survive. I think the dude uh, who had sex with Arya is gonna die. Yeah. Yeah. What's his name? Podrick. No, Podrick is the. Other. No, not Podrick. No, Podrick is the other. Uh, uh, Brienne's. Brienne's gonna die for sure. You, th- you think Brienne's gonna die? Yeah. <gasps> oh, that would be sad. Do you, do you think that that was the point behind yeah. knighting her this episode? Right. So that she could die sort of like with the last, with, with this honor that she has been searching for her whole life? Yes. Yeah, I, I I hate to say that I think you're right, but yeah, I I, I don't have a note to that effect, but just sort of in retrospect, I think you and, might be right. And I think it's also payment for uh, trying to kill Finn. Oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, Star Wars. <laughs> She's gonna die again. <sighs> Remember, she fought Finn in uh, as uh, Captain Phasma. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean I like Brienne. You know, Brienne is a, a great character, and uh, obviously Jamie loves. I think that's going to serve as a moment for Jamie, like a, you know, like Jamie's going to hold her in the arms. And... Oh, I I knew who the other one that I was thinking was. The other one that I was thinking um, is, I I think anybody who basically was a wildling, this is their time to go. Redbeard. Yeah, for sure. He's not gonna get a chance to sample. Uh, yeah, I I think his I think his parting shot was letting us know that he got to drink giant's milk. Love that scene too, by the way. That was pretty epic. Yes, love it. Also, uh, you know, just just one quick thing. I, I'm I'm always confused by this. So, why do they think that everyone's going to be safe in the crypts? They think that the dead are not going to go into the crypts. I I know that there's an easy answer to that, uh, and I don't know what it is, but there is an easy answer to that. Um, yeah, there's an article out there saying that uh, Tormund. They don't go underground or something. Yeah, his name was is Tormund, the red red guy. Tormund, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah you know that's going to be where they get killed. I mean, you know, it's strange because there's so many parallels in some ways to uh, the, the the battle before Helm's Deep uh, in the the Lord of the Rings, the middle epi- the middle sort of series part with two towers. There's a lot of parallels between uh, what happens before the Battle of Helm's Deep and what's happening now before this epic battle with the Night Qu- Night King. And uh, one of the things that's sort of the most interesting is that they also put the women and children in what they call the caves behind Helm's Deep, thinking that that's what's going to make them safe. And in the end, what they realize is that they basically just have them set up to be slaughtered there. And it just has, it had such a strange resonance because that's exactly what I thought. Like, well, okay, I mean, you're going to, this is your last stand. And I get there's no other place to go, but I just thought maybe I might be missing something about why they think they would be so safe in the crypts. Yeah, that's just, 
Yeah, it, it just sounds like something that's gonna end up going, going bad. Yeah. I I I have to ask you this too. So okay, so so episode three is gonna be next week, and we know it's gonna be a big battle. I mean, we saw some of the mm-hmm. uh, stuff on the on the trailer as we um, like as a sneak preview. I, with only three episodes after, I want to sort of get your take on how long you think this battle will last. Do you think it'll last two episodes or one episode? One and a half. Because they still have a lot of stuff to sort of reconcile, but at the same time, it I am hoping that they don't just sort of make this battle of the bastards. I, and I don't say that lightly i loved that that was awesome but just like in battle of the bastards there was so much lead up and the episode itself was incredible i mean it was that to me that's got that's one of the best episodes of the entire series but it but it felt like the it felt like the resolution went by too fast and i kind of hope that that's not what happens here because this just feels so much more important well, they spent two years doing it, so, and part of the reason was they wanted to make sure it was awesome. So we'll see how awesome it is. Did you did you like this episode? Did you think that this episode was was played well enough? I thought it was fine. It was. I don't think it was great, but I thought it was fine. If it to me, it felt. I think I said this before, but to me, it felt so. It felt so much like. Uh, the Viking night before the battle, like uh, there was just something so almost surreal about everyone thinking that it was their last night or it could possibly be their last night. I don't, I don't know if I feel like they're resigned to the fact that they're all dead or like, okay, if we have to die, at least we're going to die fighting or whether they really think that they have a chance I, I was sort of ta- I was torn between both thoughts because Bran said he, when Jamie said what comes I think it was Jamie that said what comes after or what do we do after something like that and Bran says what makes you think there is an after mm-hmm. yep that seemed kind of ominous just a little yeah well, you know, that's a, a good question to ask. That's a good question to ask because, you know, we, we'll see. But you know what? Individually, they're not hard to beat. They're actually quite easy to beat. It's just as a, it's so many of them, that's the problem. Like, if there's just one White Walker, you could take one out pretty easily. It's just that there, there's so many of them and they just keep coming and they keep reanimating. But if you... If you take out the and they don't have Cersei's army, oh. so right now they're fighting. The, I mean, they are so overwhelmed. Yes. Yeah. And and Bran doesn't even know if the Night King can be taken out by dragon fire. Huh. Then again, you don't want to get the dragon close to him because he'll throw that javelin. <laughs> you know? yeah, right. Yeah, he didn't even blink too. He was just like. You know, actually, you might want to keep the dragons away from them. Raise your hand if you think that Aya is going to be the one that kills the Night King. Because secretly, I'm kind of hoping she does. Why? I don't know. Because I feel like Aya just... I just... Her character arc seems to be the most deserving of all the characters to kill the Night King. And I don't mean that like... I mean, if anybody really, it seems like Jon Snow should be yeah, the one, Jon right? Snow, yeah, I would say Jon Snow. But, but I no. The, but I no. would love to see the Night I, King. I feel like that would be too easy. No, I want to see Jon Snow and the Night King throw down. That would be awesome. Yeah? Yes. Yes, that's what well, everybody okay. wants to see. So, that would be so boring if so, Arya fought the Night King and, and wins against the Night King. Come on. That would be silly. <laughs> Well, I don't know. What was the whole point of making that weapon? It just seemed like that's... No, those are that... for his minions. But, yeah? But yeah, no, you got to have Jon Snow versus the Night King. That's the battle. Yeah, it, that's the battle I, I mean, want to see. I'd be it does sort of seem like John, it's got to be... It's got to be... Uh, 
a Targaryen against the Night King because I mean the whole series is called a Song of Ice and Fire, right? And so it feels like it's got to be a Dragonborn versus the 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 Night King because that's the only way that everything makes sense. Yeah, but uh, no, Arya, she can beat the Night King. I, I don't know by happy accident. I don't know. I don't know. It just seemed like something felt so. That would, se- uh, would seem like to me that it's, it's just like it, it's the quirky way that they do the writing in this, where like you know you, they lead you up to think, yeah, this is the way it's going to be, and then just sort of something comes out of nowhere, and all of a sudden you're like scrambling because oh my god, I never saw that coming. Also, uh, also, this, d- d- just one cool. quick shout out. Mm-hmm. I, I I was really glad to see that there was at least one dire wolf in the in the scene. Yes. Only one, but at least it's one. Yes. All right. So, how can people get you on social media? Um, they can get me on uh, at Twitter. See, now I'm all I can't even think about social media. I'm so excited about whatever is going to happen next. I can't even think about it. Uh, they can find me on Twitter at following bliss one, or you can visit my websites at moviesmakethemeal.com or criticallaughs.com. All right, you can get me at Kente F on Twitter, and the website is indyradio.org. That's indy radio.org. All right, we'll be back next week. With an all new um, episode of Talking Game of Thrones. You guys have a great week. Paycor knows HR teams are under pressure to recruit and retain top talent. You need more than HR tech, you need expertise at the core. Meet Paycor. Our technology saves you time, our expertise helps you make a difference. Paycor.com slash meet Paycor. Where are you going with my sleeping bag? I'm going to sleep under the stars tonight. Man, it's winter, and we live in Chicago. But- It's a beautiful night. Oh, gosh, this isn't going to end well. Kind of like when you thought we should get cable internet. The pioneers slept outside year-round, so... Yeah, and most pioneers didn't live over 40. Oh, you don't know that. I do. You want to know how? No. Sort of. I just looked it up on our AT&T internet. Don't get mixed up with cable internet. Get AT&T internet rated number one in customer satisfaction over cable. Switch and get up to 100 megabits per second for $40 a month. Limited availability may not be available in your area. Check eligibility at att.com slash internet. AT&T, more for your thing. That's our thing. New approved customers only. Includes internet plans 10 to 100 megabits. Early termination fee and other charges and restrictions apply. Speeds not guaranteed and may vary. Claim based on 2018 ACSI survey of customers rating their own internet provider's performance.